appreciate you reading that passage of Scripture. My name's Dee, and as you can see, the ushers are coming along. Keep your hands up if you need a uh, Bible this particular morning to follow along. It is a privilege to worship with you this morning and to be part of uh, a morning where we lift up our voices, we read Scripture, we try and honor Christ with not only what we do, but who we are. And we have the wonderful privilege of encouraging one another in this journey as we try and discern God's leadership in our life and try it uh, in a process of learning from one another how we might better serve one another and in so doing serve God. I would like to take a few moments, if I could, um, to pause as we often do for a word of prayer before we jump into this passage of Scripture in First Peter. Um, I'd like to make mention of a couple things in the life of the church. You heard quite a few um, items of announcements, opportunities to jump in and get involved. Um, I want to challenge us to pray over the things you hear in announcements. Whether it is our effort to raise things for um, children and uh, families who um, are in need, whether it's VBS, whether it's a combined service project here on the point, that there would be at least um, an awareness on your part that behind all of this, if there's not prayer, then um, we have to question whether there's any eternal significance going on at all, or are we just taking care of some urgent e- needs that are right now, but it has no significance beyond that. We want to do that, but we also want it to have a connection to the eternal so that what happens points us toward the kingdom of God and what Christ is doing among us. So please pray for the announcements that you hear. I also want us to pray for one another. Um, I mentioned a few moments ago encouraging one another, but um, if you take just a few extra moments, whether in the meet and greet time or post-service, to talk to those who are seated near you, we, each one of us, bring a lot to this service, Um, a lot of issues that we are facing, um, concerns that we have, life's journey, sometimes gets a lot more complicated than we had intended it for to be. Um, And I would like to mention for some in this congregation who are facing circumstances that they don't exactly know what the next step might be. I don't know if this is the case for you, um, but it may be for somebody who is seated near you. Um, Cynthia Bell, uh, this uh, week her father passed away, Hector, and... um, Many of you have walked the journey with Cynthia, and she's been part of this church fellowship for quite a few years. Um, And some of you probably know her father as well, so please lift Cynthia up um, as they try and navigate uh, what that means in the course of the next days, weeks, and months. We also had a member of our church for so many years and has left his fingerprints in so many places in good ways, David Brown passed away this past week. Um, David's uh, journey led him uh, after his retirement from PLNU as a science teacher to come to us and say, I just have a lot of time and I would like to help around the church. What can I do? And he became, I don't know how to describe it other than a regular non-paid employee. I, I don't know and we probably need more of those that would help us out. 
Um, I don't know how you fill that gap, the vacuum that he leaves behind, but uh, we will keep you informed. I think the memorial service for David will be sometime in June, so it's a little ways off um, to allow family to be able to make it from other parts of the country. Um, So let's pause for a few moments. I'd love for you to just notice who's seated beside you, in front of you, behind you. It'd be wonderful if everybody this morning knew that a prayer was lifted up on their behalf. I don't want any silence to be uncomfortable for you unless you need to be uncomfortable, but we'll have a few moments of silence. And it doesn't mean that the world goes quiet. It just means that you and I go quiet. And whatever coughs happen or air conditioning goes on or noise in the back out in the Friendship Plaza, it's all right. It's just quieting ourselves that we might listen, that we might hear, that we might allow God's Spirit to guide us as to how we might pray. Let's pray together. Lord, in a noisy world, sometimes it's very difficult to hear your voice. Sometimes when it's difficult to hear your voice, we struggle with knowing what direction to go. And when we struggle with what direction to go, Lord, we wonder if we're ever making a difference in the places that you have allowed us to be. We long for our lives to count for something. So help us, Lord, to retrace our steps back to the place where we enter into silence. That we might be better listeners of your voice. And through that, to be able to follow in the footsteps that you guide the examples that you've led, the ways in which you have shown us that we might make a difference and count for your kingdom. We lift up to you, Cynthia, and others who may be in that same position today. In the midst of loss, and a bundle of mixed emotions. May we feel that we are not only close to you, but you are abiding so close to us that you are within us and working through us to bring about your peace 
for the family of Dave Brown. May somehow, Lord, in their quiet moments, may they feel like they have somehow touched eternity and catch a glimpse of how you can sustain them through these days and weeks. Help us as a church, Lord, to be your hands, your feet, your voice, your listening ear to one another. And as we open up the word, may it inspire us. May it challenge us. May it confront us. May it push us. May it enliven us. This is your day, Lord, and we praise your name. Amen. First Peter chapter 2. We started the reading. Donna, thank you for reading that uh, with verse 19. I want to tell you that if you're following along in this passage, small book near the end of the New Testament, um, we are actually going to read or look at some of the verses that lead up to that, starting with verse 11. Verse 11 starts with, uh, dear friends, I urge you, and goes on from there. So that greeting that seems to take place right in the middle of the letter. A little bit of the background again. We talked about the background in the last couple of weeks, but it's really important to set the stage for how this reads by understanding the audience and the way in which Peter sets this up. This is intended to be what's called a circular letter, meaning that it was intended to circulate among various groups of believers. And in fact, it may have even been more than that. The route that the person may have taken to share the letter may have actually gone in a full circle from where they began to the end where they finished up. And it's in a region, the audience is in a region that is what is modern-day Turkey. But the importance of the location is in relationship to the city that's a thousand miles to the west, Rome. So Rome, as the center of the empire, and all of the decisions and rules and authority and power of Rome extend out toward the Roman Empire to this area about a thousand miles away. That shouldn't surprise us. We live, at least in that regard, in a similar way, where we have a city that's about twice as far as that from us, Washington, D.C., whose decisions and authority and power influences us in our little town here in San Diego. So decisions that are made miles and miles and miles away eventually make their way in effect how we live and how we interact. Whether we would have voted that way or not, whether they would have been our choices or not, they eventually make their way. Now, I understand that there are some differences. The way communication travels today is dramatically different than it was 2,000 years ago. So the influence can happen in a far more rapid fashion. The decisions can have immediate effect today. It may take a while, but nevertheless, it still would disseminate throughout the Roman Empire. There's another difference as well that's pretty important, and that is that the audience to whom Peter is written is probably largely 
subjugated to those who are in authority, many of them slaves or in servitude of some sort. Not all, certainly, that would read this letter, but many that would read this letter or hear this letter read would be in a very different place than we are, at least in that regard. So with that in mind, when Peter addresses this group and says, so dear friends, I want to urge you as aliens and exiles in the world to abstain from all evil desires because they wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among those who are not believers that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, when they see your good deeds, they'll glorify God when he visits us on that day. I am fascinated by the phrase aliens and exiles. We don't typically think of ourselves as aliens and exiles. Most of us in this room don't. Most of us in this room have not been in a place where we've felt like an alien and an exile. There may be some social circumstances where you have felt a bit alienated or somewhat of an exile. Your first visit to a um, fiancé's home um, to meet other families, family members, you might have felt a bit like an alien in exile. Hopefully that was short-lived and not too oppressive. So I'm not sure that that puts you into the category necessarily of 1 Peter chapter 2. So there are certainly some differences that take place. But that phrase was very appropriate to the audience who was hearing this letter as it circulated. But I guess maybe I would contend that for those who are followers of Christ, that that is a very important phrase for us to listen to as well. Because if we have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, that we are followers of God, that puts us as part of a kingdom that's not the same kingdom in which we live our daily lives. And Peter writes to us, likewise, as aliens in exile. I don't think we feel that way because I think that the culture in which we live has enough of an appeal to it, enough interest to us, enough good things going on that we buy into the culture of which we are a part. And so it slowly begins to take our value system and mold it toward the least common denominator of the culture in which we live. Not necessarily the value system that we're called to live as followers of Christ, because as followers of Christ, we are not simply called to a list of doctrines. We are called to a way of living. It's a really important distinction. It's not just a checklist of certain beliefs that say, yep, I believe that and I believe that. It is a call to a way of living as followers of Christ. So this kind of nuance of this passage reminds me of a news incident that took place when I was a teenager. Some of you will remember, 
Some of you have only read about it, and for some this is probably an unheard of story before, but it took place, nine o'clock started at nine o'clock in the evening, February 4th, 1974. There was a knock on the door of apartment number four at 2302 Benvenue Avenue in Berkeley, California. The door burst open on a young college student, 19 years of age, and the men and women who entered that small apartment were bearing arms and proceeded to beat up this young lady's fiance and take this 19-year-old woman down to the car, throw her into the trunk, and kidnapped her. The perpetrators were violent. They had already killed two Oakland public officials with cyanide-tipped bullets, one of whom, I'm sorry, killed one and seriously injured another. They called themselves part of the SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army. They had taken Patty Hearst, who was the granddaughter of newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst. Their avowed goal was to overthrow the government and bring an end to the reign of terror that they believed had come down on the people of this country. I remember it coming across the news. They had pulled off something that had gotten national attention. About two months later, an interesting thing took place in this, which was self-described by the FBI as the most fascinating case that they had had to this point in time and produced, at least up to that point in time, I am told by their website, the largest domestic manhunt that had ever been undertaken to that point in time. Two months after her kidnapping, a tape was released where Patty Hearst says that she has decided to become part of their movement and has joined their cause. Many couldn't believe it, thought she was coerced, believed that certainly this uh, had to be something that off-camera she had been forced into. But 12 days later, at a bank robbery caught on tape, it showed her wielding a gun and providing cover for her comrades as they robbed a bank that I believe this one was actually a bank connected to one of her um, friends from high school, I believe it was. The friend's father was an officer at this bank. I remember seeing the films as a teenager, watching her there, this brunette lady holding this large gun in a bank setting, watching the security tapes and listening to the newscasters trying to figure out what was going on. Several months later, having discovered a safe house, there was a large shootout, and the leader of this movement, a hardened criminal by the name of Donald DeFraze, was taken down. Patty Hearst and some others had escaped. Seven months after her original kidnapping, 
she was captured and put on trial. The trial was probably about as interesting as the ordeal that led up to that. She was found guilty and was charged to serve seven years for the crimes that she had committed. After serving two of those years, her um, sentence was commuted and eventually she was pardoned by the President of the United States. So what does that have to do with this passage? She is used as an example in many textbooks for what some of you know and maybe have heard of called the Stockholm Syndrome. A description of a situation in which somebody who is abused, oppressed, the victim, somehow makes a connection with the perpetrators and to try and resolve the dissonance that's inside of her or him tries to find some common ground, some similarity, some goodness in the captors, something with which they can resonate and make sense of all that has taken place. And the contention is that that's exactly what happened to Patty Hearst, that these individuals, who can be described as really nothing else other than domestic terrorists, stayed with her so long and began to teach her about the things they were trying to accomplish, and she tried to find some level of connection that would make sense of what was happening in her life. And eventually it led to her buying into what it was that they were attempting to do. Stockholm Syndrome. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that followers of Christ find themselves over and over again in a culture that is really foreign to the principles of following Christ, so taken by what they see and some of the amazing good that gets done, trying to wrestle with the dissonance that's within and finding this connection place with the culture in which we live, whether it's our culture or another culture in another country, that finds us giving ourselves an allegiance to a system of values that ultimately does not line itself with faith in Christ. The nuances may be subtle, the differences may not be blaring, but the value systems are different, very different. And Peter reminds every one of us who claim Jesus Christ as Lord that we are aliens, exiles in a country that's not our own. And we are called to be vigilant about those differences. It doesn't mean that we don't champion the good that happens within our culture. Absolutely we do that. It doesn't mean we don't join in in those things that are making a difference around us by the systems that are in place because if they're doing good, absolutely we throw our weight into that. But it does mean that we don't identify with a system whose values ultimately put us in opposition to following Christ. So, Peter is sending this message. And he does so in a very interesting way. Saying, I want you to live such great lives that others who would accuse you of doing wrong when they see your good deeds can't do anything but praise God 
when God shows up. The next step would not have been my logical next step, but for Peter, it makes a great deal of sense. He says, so subject yourselves to every human authority, to the emperor, the supreme authority, to the governors, who the emperor puts in place to reward those who do good and to punish those who do wrong. For it is God's will that your good deeds would silence the ignorant voices of foolish people. I said this last week. Peter sits in an interesting place. We have in the book of Acts a description of the empire that is really relatively positive. It's a notion that ultimately the empire will embrace Christians and that if we just respect them and live well and pray for them, that the empire will kind of come alongside and provide the appropriate protection and allow Christians to do and live out their faith the way they would like to do that. When we get to some of the later writings, we find, uh, for example, at the end of Revelation, that the empire is described as a Babylonian harlot who drinks the blood of the saints. Well, that's a pretty stark contrast to how we see the empire in Acts. Peter kind of sits between these extremes and brings a really interesting voice to say, you know, there are times when we speak up and times when we're silent. Peter writes to those who are subjugated. And he said, be wise. Subject yourselves out of respect for the Lord to all of your masters, whether they are compassionate and kind or whether they do you harm. In other words, put your trust in God. And let there, learn that there are times to speak and times to be silent. We've talked a couple of times in the last month, about power. Power and protest, interesting things. Those who protest certainly have a power that they exert. But the skill set that comes with being a protester is not the same skill set that it takes to lead when you have the power. I enjoy watching some sports. I love watching a great team effort on defense. I love watching a unit come together and prevent um, the other team from crossing the goal line. I love a great goal line stance. I think it's amazing when somebody in football has a first and 10 from the three-yard line and the defense is so amazing that they stop them and they can't get across the goal line. Or a great unit of five in basketball that somehow is able to work together in such a way that the other team just has such a difficult time scoring. But some of those teams that are incredible at defense, you give them the ball, and it's disastrous. It's as if they didn't learn that part of the game. It doesn't necessarily mean if you're great at defense that you are skilled in offense plays itself out in the political arena as well. To protest politically can be incredibly effective. But there are times when those who have been the protesters, the defense, that power shifts and those individuals are then in power. 
And it's a different skill set that's required to be in power than the skill set to protest. And that's true for all political parties. It's happened throughout history. The notion of power and how we use power is addressed throughout Scripture. This is not a passage that directed toward those in power. There are plenty of passages that speak about that. These are those who are subjected, subjugated. Those who at times feel the oppression of those who are in power. I would simply offer, as Scripture speaks about, That when there is that opportunity where we recognize God has blessed us with opportunities to have a voice and to speak up. There is, I think this is a wonderful day to make mention of it. A a great perspective that comes from the feminine voice in our world. That power is not something to be grabbed, to be hoarded, to be monopolized, or to use to conquer. Powers to be used in compassion, to help, to nurture, to strengthen, to include. The masculine voice in my journey calls me to grab power and to grab more and to find ways to use power to succeed and accomplish goals. Not all bad, but if it's stripped of that desire to nurture and to have compassion, and to help, and to include, then it becomes abusive, and detrimental, and destructive. So in this passage, for those who are on the receiving end of that, this call to look at Christ. Christ, who had all power. It says in this passage is an example for us, left an example in suffering so that we might follow in his footsteps. For, as scripture tells us, no sin was found within him, no deceit in his mouth. When they were hurling insults, he didn't retaliate. When he was suffering, he didn't devise a plan to get back, but instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And then the powerful verse, second to last in this chapter, The verse that says, he bore our sins on the cross. That we might die to sins and live righteously. For by Christ's wounds, we are healed. This is the answer to what was said right in the middle of this passage, where Peter says, Live as free people. Now, don't use that freedom, this passage says, to simply cover up evil. But live as slaves to God. That's the mindset. Slaves to God. That changes every one of my circumstances if my mindset is to be subservient to the King of Kings. I was with my family several weeks ago over at Pizza Nova. And um, we had a very nice dinner. Come to the end of the meal, 
and I had been waiting for the ticket because you're kind of held captive until you pay your bill. You're kind of caught there. They don't like you to leave without having resolved what it is that you need to do to pay for what it is that you've consumed. So I'm waiting and waiting, and nothing happens. Ready to leave, but feeling a bit trapped. Finally call the waiter over, and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Some time ago, somebody paid your bill. You're free to go. Somebody in this congregation was kind enough to take care of our bill, and I was a little startled and stunned. I said, who was it? And he said, I, I don't know. I guess I could look on the credit card receipt if you want me to. And I, I was just stunned. I actually had been free to leave for the last 15 minutes. I just didn't know it. A little bit of knowledge changed everything. I would have enjoyed the meal a little bit more. I would have relaxed a little bit more about extras that somebody in my family had uh, ordered. I just... A little less uptight in the moment. That knowledge changed my journey. Not too dissimilar, my wonderful dog, we set up this little gate and locked it so that she couldn't get past into areas that she shouldn't go. But a long time ago, we stopped locking that gate because she's frightened of the gate. She won't push against it anymore. She's trapped, and she doesn't even know she's free. All she needs to do is just a little touch with the paw, and she can go anywhere she wants. It's never locked. It's never kept her from going to other places anymore, but she's trapped because she's afraid of that gate. You've probably heard the training story of the elephants. As tiny little elephants, they take a chain and put it on that back leg and attach it to an immovable object, a stump that can't be moved, a stake that's down deep. After they get older, they no longer attach the chain to anything. But the chain reminds the elephant of the prison that they are in, and they don't move. And yet they're free. But they're not. This is the truth of the gospel that my sins were born by Christ on the cross so that I no longer am a slave to those things, but I have been set free. It doesn't matter my circumstances, it doesn't matter where I find myself in relationship, in where I live, in the rules and laws or the circumstances that have somehow imposed themselves on me, I am free. I may not know that fully yet. I may not fully understand all that that implies. I may find myself dragging a little bit with the chain and quite uncertain as to when it's going to come to the end and get taught and I can't go any further, not realizing that I can really just kick the chain off and go anywhere I want. I find myself sometimes not pushing away the gate or sitting at the table for so long because I haven't been reminded, and maybe you haven't this morning either, that Christ bore our sins, that we might live in a way that is free. Free so that others might see how we live and go, wow, 
I know I said all of these things about them before, but I'm seeing a whole lot of good that is really attractive. In fact, it feels like God showed up. I want to know more. That's the freedom of the kingdom of God. We are aliens, foreigners. We sometimes do voice a protest. But Peter calls us to be wise and prudent, to treat others with appropriate respect, to love the family of believers, to fear God, to honor the king, to live in such a way that God shines through us so that no matter what the enslavement circumstances are, that person looks free to me. (laughs) Something has happened. The gate's been knocked down. The chain's come off. The bill's been paid. Thank you very much. Praise be to God. You are free, free indeed. That's the power of the gospel message. Father, over and over again, I am one who has fallen prey to the Stockholm Syndrome. I've been enamored by things in my culture, and I drag my belief system into those places, and somehow it gets muddy Muddy. Lord, this morning, you have awakened me. Awakened me to who my king really is. Awakened me to throw my weight against those things that oppress and push and lead to circumstances that hurt other people and Lord there are some places where you've given many of us in this room a voice a a, a voice to speak out a a voice to participate a, a way to give thank you Lord for the privilege that we have in our culture to do that that others before us have not had such a privilege likewise Lord help us to celebrate the things of our culture that are so good and doing wonderful things but Keep our hearts focused on your kingdom, your values, how we might use power when it's given to us in ways that are compassionate and kind and long-suffering and inclusive and life-transforming. Our culture leads us, Lord, to self-centeredness. May your spirit lead us to Christ-centeredness. Help us to be servant leaders. Help us to be those who love. May you show up through us, Lord, please. May we be the window, the door through which you can come to earth. May we inaugurate your return. (laughs) May we throw up the banners and celebrate. Give us wisdom, when to speak up, when to hold our voice, when to cry out, and when to just push ahead with the business that you've given us right in front of us. This day, a wake-up call, Lord. 
a wake-up call. We praise your holy name. Amen. I invite our ushers to come as we continue in worship.